I'm gonna trade my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears, no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe, and crown. Good afternoon. It is Wednesday, January 31st, 2018. And today's video, unfortunately, is not live. Uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, I ran into some technical difficulties with the software that I use to live stream to Facebook and do all the, you know, screen sharing and all that kind of stuff. And so I apologize that this isn't live, but hopefully this is still of benefit for those out there who can uh, watch this and, and, and uh, glean something from from our study today. Our study today is from Matthew chapter 17. If you've been following along with us, we've been reading through the New Testament here in 2018 as part of our uh, our attempt as a church body here to join together uh, in 2018, specifically doing so in God's Word. And so each week we read about five chapters together uh, in our personal studies, uh, and then we come together on Sunday mornings and we have a lesson uh, derived from that reading in some capacity, and then uh, we uh, of course, can talk about uh, the things that we've read uh, throughout the week as well. If you'd like to catch up on previous lessons and studies and, and readings that we've done, you can always go back on our Facebook feed and see those, or you can go to our website up here, loveland.church, and you can get uh, the latest episodes there. If you go up to the media tab and click on daily Bible study, uh, you can get those videos there, as well as subscribe to the podcast. All right, well, with that said, again, this is just a regular video, uh, and just with the live videos, if you wouldn't mind sharing this video with those on your friends list on Facebook, uh, to help get the Word of God out there uh, more and more uh, and, and just fill people's feed with the good news. Uh, that's really uh, the goal of, of sharing, but also to invite people to join us in this study as well. All right, so let's get into Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So there's some interesting points here in the first uh, five, six verses of, of Matthew 18. The first of which we see the disciples curious and, and really uh, not understanding what the kingdom of heaven really is. So the disciples, just as with all the other Jews, believed that the Messiah that was coming um, and that was promised was going to be a real physical king that was going to uh, rule Israel and make them into this military powerhouse and, and destroy and conquer all the nations of the world and, and that Israel would be the one true nation, the only nation uh, in the world. But Jesus is not bringing a physical kingdom. He's bringing a spiritual kingdom. So while his disciples have been vying for positions in a physical kingdom, they've totally missed the teachings that this is not physical, but it is spiritual in nature. And Jesus says one uh, must turn and become like a child to enter the, tr to enter the kingdom of heaven. And whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, there's something interesting about children and belief. 
uh, and innocence. Um, the, the one important part that Jesus says in there in verse 3 is to turn and become like children. The word turn there in the Greek means to turn around, uh, to you know, change direction, basically. Um, it's very similar uh, to the meaning of repent, to change your direction, to turn around, turn away from the life of sin, and turn your eyes to Christ. And so there's kind of a wordplay, I think, that Jesus is using here. And he says, and become like children. Children are humble. They are obedient. At least they were in those days. Right? They are obedient, and they do as they're told. Another interesting thing about children is the humility and the, and the, the, the seeking of knowledge that they have. Um, I, I had heard something uh, the other day uh, that a, a prominent atheist said at one point, said that if you took a group of children and you put them on a desert island with, with food and, and sustenance and everything, um, but no books, no knowledge of, of what's going on in the world at all, he said that they would undoubtedly find God. They would undoubtedly find belief in God. That's coming from an atheist. And the reason is, is because, well, children see what's in nature. They see and they comprehend, and they well, at least they try to comprehend, what's going on around them. And for many children, the answer is, that doesn't seem like that's a thing. That's not something that could naturally happen. That's not something that could be there unless somebody made it. And the thing that pops into my mind when I think about that, um, as we had a lunar eclipse last night, the thing... Uh, that that reminds me of that is the solar eclipse that I got to see this summer, and I'm sure many of us got to see the solar eclipse. Did we ever stop and think about how the Earth, so it's the Earth, or I'm sorry, the Moon, the Moon uh, is the perfect size, the perfect size, to cover up the Sun in the way that it does, when it when you, when you get a total solar eclipse. It's perfect. There's just a slight aura around the around the moon that just gives off some shines, and, and craters create that little diamond ring effect, and all, and all that that fun stuff that we learned about during the eclipse. But I just I cannot, for, for the life of me, believe that that moon was made to be the perfect size to be able to to accomplish exactly what it can accomplish during a during a solar eclipse without it being created for a purpose like that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, Paul says that, that God is readily perceived in nature. He says that in Romans, I believe. We can see God in nature. We can see God all around us. And it's the children who have this, this humble belief and, and willingness to believe in God. So there's the belief aspect, there's the humility aspect, and then of course there is the uh, innocent uh, and, and uh, uh, obedience part of it as well. And that's what gets into the next part. You know, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. That doesn't sound like fun. I don't like water as it is, but that just does not sound like... Uh, a, a very good time at all. Of course, the, the warning here is to not lead children to sin, whether he's talking about physical children uh, or if he's talking about children of God. Uh, either one applies. Uh, and I think that comes to the next part here in verse 7. 
Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than, to, than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So Jesus says it's not good if you cause a child to sin or one of these children to sin. And then he goes on to say, Woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Who brings the temptation? Who causes the temptation? Woe to them. Again, a warning that anyone who causes someone else to sin, it's not a good situation to be in. The next section there in which Jesus talks about physically cutting off parts of your body that cause you to sin, of course, is... Uh, is metaphorical in nature and that he is telling you to remove the things in your life that cause you to sin. If it's a person that's bringing about sinful thoughts or sinful actions, get rid of them. Get rid of their friendship. If you if they can't respect you uh, and they don't want to uh, abide by uh, your beliefs or, or not, not necessarily abide by your beliefs, but respect your beliefs and respect where you're coming from and why you may not want to do something, um, then they're not a good friend at all. And so uh, this is just a kind of an example to cut off the things in your life. Get rid of the things in your life that cause you to sin. It may be friends. It may be the internet. It may be your computer. It may be your phone. Either way, uh, if it's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Separate yourself from it. Turn away. Right? Turn and become like a child, obedient and humble to Christ. Verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, still referring to the child that is there amongst them. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes, has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Okay, I think there's two important teachings here. First of all, uh, the the aspect of forgiveness uh, is is kind of under undertoned here a little bit. Um, of course, in the uh, metaphor that Jesus teaches here, using uh, the the shepherd and the sheep. Um, the shepherd is God, and the sheep are his people. The sheep are his children. Uh, and if one of them goes astray, he does not desire for that sheep to perish, but instead he desires for it to have life. God doesn't desire anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance uh, and all to be a part of the kingdom. That's his prerogative because he loves his creation. But the choice is ours to make. The choice for obedience, to come back, to return, to turn back to God, is ours. I think another important teaching uh, of this section, of course, talking about children, the importance of children, not not leading them astray, not leading them to sin, but also in the in the context that Jesus is speaking here in verse 10, he's uh, talking about one of these little ones, physically the children that are around there. Uh, and he says, uh, 
it is not the will of my Father in, who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So when we take the, the literal context that Jesus is talking about, that he doesn't desire for any little one to perish, and he doesn't desire for anyone to cause a little one to perish, I think you know where I'm going with that. This is, I think this is a strong teaching against abortion, uh, a very big problem and, and hot-button topic in society today, uh, and that God does not desire for any little one to perish. Uh, and I think, too, of course, the sin that's involved in that um, separates one from God, and that, that, of course, leads to the destruction and the perishing as well. And so um, I think there's a case that can be made for that uh, in this section also. Verse 15, what about those people who offend me? What about those people that sin against me? Jesus addresses that. So we're talking about forgiveness, right? We started off uh, uh, thinking about um, the, the attitude of children, um, and forgiveness is an important part of being a humble servant of Christ. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. All right, so there's a lot here. And I want to make sure that we cover uh, as much of it as we can in the short time that we have. So first of all, we see Jesus' Jesus detailing how to handle disagreements or sin made against you. Um, sin specifically. If someone sins against you, go to them directly. Don't gossip about them. Don't go elsewhere. Don't skip step one and go straight to skip step two or step three, but go through the process. Jesus provides this process to present a Christian attitude, a loving attitude, and an opportunity for forgiveness and repentance throughout it. That's the whole purpose of that. Now, in verse 18, 18 through 20, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Is Jesus talking to us today in that scripture? I want to hear your thoughts on that. I want you to comment below. Do you think Jesus is talking to Christians today in verses 18 through 20, or is he talking specifically to his apostles? I want you to, I want you to think about that and share your thoughts in the comments below, and I'll try to respond to them. Verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So the term seven, the number seven, is often used to indicate or, or reflect a nondescript 
amount. So when the when Peter says as many as seven times, he's just he's again just kind of building on how many times do I need to forgive this guy? Ten times, thirteen times, he's just throwing out an arbitrary number. But seven was the arbitrary number. And Jesus then builds on that and gives him an even more arbitrary number, but it's almost an infinite number uh, is, is kind of what Jesus is saying. Um, 77 times, or as other translations may say, 70 times 7. So if 7 is an arbitrary number and 70 is even more arbitrary and you multiply these arbitrary numbers together, you get an arbitrary number. Because uh, ultimately what Jesus is saying is there is no limit to how often you should be forgiving your brother. There's no limit. You're not, Jesus isn't commanding you to literally forgive someone 77 times and then you're free to just wash your hands of them and not forgive them ever again. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Now Jesus starts explaining the kingdom a little bit more. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pray, uh, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a very powerful teaching that Jesus provides here. Very, very powerful. The parable, that, uh, and the, the, the lesson that, that Jesus provides here is important. God is the master. And man, Christians, are the servants, the first servant, in which we had a great debt to pay. We still have a great debt to pay. If you are listening to this and you're not a Christian, you have a great debt to pay to God because of your sin. That debt was forgiven. It was paid for in Christ's blood. If then we are forgiven in Christ's blood a great debt that we owed, notice the size of the debt, 10,000 talents, and then if we have someone who sins against us, someone who owes us a debt, much less than the debt that we owed to God, and yet we don't forgive them, how is it then that we're being the lights of the world? How is it that we are being the salt of the earth? How is it that we are loving our neighbor as ourselves?
See, Jesus says, My Father will do to you, to every one of you, uh, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's the key. The forgiveness has to come for your, from your heart. You can't just tell, tell your brother, I, I forgive you, and then hold it deep down. Hold it against them for, for years. Because you haven't truly forgiven them. Forgiveness means it's forgotten. It's gone. It's forgiven. Period. I love this teaching of Jesus. I love this section of Matthew. Uh, we really get into the, the nitty-gritty of, of Christianity, of, of the kingdom of God, uh, and what a joy it is to be a part of it. If you have questions about joining that kingdom, about becoming a Christian and putting on Christ uh, in baptism and obeying the gospel according to what the Bible says, not what man has made up, uh, but what God has said in his inspired word, uh, we want to help you with that. You can email us at any time, info at Loveland. Dot church and we're happy to answer any questions that you have especially if there are questions about the church here that meets uh, questions about uh, becoming a Christian or any needs that you have uh, which is another thing that we also I also like to uh, encourage on these videos if you uh, have a prayer request if we can pray for you in any way or assist you in any way leave the comment down below or message us privately on Facebook and we can uh, you know connect with you and pray with you and, and, and study with you if, if need be but ultimately, uh, that's Matthew chapter 18. Tomorrow we'll get into Matthew 19 and some difficult teachings of Jesus uh, regarding divorce. Uh, and uh, again, he starts. He talks about uh, the little children again and some more um, comparisons to the kingdom there. So we'll look at those things tomorrow. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And by the way, we are gathering uh, this evening at 7 p.m. for Bible study here at the building. And we'll continue our study in the life of Christ. Uh, we'll be... Uh, I think Matthew chapter 7 or 8 is where we'll be. So something we've already read in this study so far, but we're getting even deeper into it as we look at the life of Christ, the the uh, context, the the uh, setting, the, the world around Jesus as he was living, um, and help better understand and apply the teachings that Jesus gives us. So I hope you can join us tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, if not, I uh, hope you have a great rest of your week, uh, and hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. Take care. One bright and fair, Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, robe and crown. The weather there is always fair, there is sunshine day and night. No cold and no rain will fall there, for the sunshine's ever bright. I'll need no heavy garments, I'll just wrap my robe around When I receive my mansion, mansion robe, robe and crown, man.